Process Safety with Trish and Tracy is a production of Chemical Processing. Chemical Processing focuses on serving engineers, designing, and operating plants in the chemical industry. Welcome to Process Safety with Trish and Tracy, the podcast that aims to share insights from past incidents to help avoid future events. This podcast and its transcript can be found at chemicalprocessing.com. I'm Tracy Purdom, Editor-in-Chief of Chemical Processing, and as always, I'm joined by Trish Karen, the Director of the iChemi Safety Center. Happy New Year, Trish. Happy New Year to you too, Tracy, and all the listeners out there. It's, uh, yeah, we're winter, you're summer, but it's a new year and we're ready to go. Um, And as with any start to a new year, it's always good to get a glimpse of what to expect. Uh, So I wanted to dedicate this podcast to highlight some of the episodes we'll focus on this year. And each year we record podcasts highlighting anniversaries of incidents. And it's always a lot of great lessons learned. But Are there other reasons that it's important to commemorate these anniversaries? Yeah, I think there's, for me personally, there's two really important reasons to continue to reflect back and commemorate the things that have happened in the past. And and one of them obviously is to, you know, what can we learn? What, What happened in that event that we can take and change and do differently in the future so Hopefully we never see that sort of event again. That's one reason. But the second reason I think is really important as well. And that's that I think we owe it to the people that were involved to just take a moment to remember them. There's often a saying that, you know, legislation and standards is written in blood. And it is. It's written in the blood of the people that were killed that led to the changes in rules and laws that we have today. And I think it's really important to just take that moment and reflect that this is not a theoretical exercise. This is about people's lives. This is about what we do or fail to do every day that potentially leads to someone surviving or not surviving at work. And so I think we owe it to those that we've lost to take a moment and reflect on their legacy. I think that's very important and very honorable uh, to hopefully give some sort of reasoning that they didn't perish in vain, that that they can go on there. The lessons learned from it can really help others. So I think that's very important. Uh, but some of these incidents, they're very old now. Haven't we already learned from them? Well, you'd like to think we have. Ultimately, we're still seeing the same sorts of incidents take place. We're still seeing incidents related to poor management of change. We're still seeing poor maintenance, corrosion, uh, isolation incidents. We're seeing all of these things occur again and again and again. Now, fundamentally, the physics and chemistry of what we do hasn't changed. So we're bound by the laws of physics and chemistry. Unfortunately, we can't just change those laws or break them. We're stuck with them. They are what they are. And that means that... The hazards are actually all still there and all the same. So we need to make sure that we do try and continue to learn those lessons because as generations move on, sometimes the lessons of the past are forgotten and we slip in and that same hazard is still there. If we fail to manage it adequately this time, we're going to have the incident again. And I see repeat incidents occur time and time again all over the world Unfortunately, there's nothing new. We're not learning any new ways to have these incidents. They're all the same standard hazards that are still causing incidents today. 
There are a lot of significant anniversaries coming up here in 2024. I wanted to talk a little bit about a few of them on a high level as sort of a teaser for what we're going to discuss throughout the year, all those lessons learned from these topics and these anniversaries. And and first off is a congratulatory one. Uh, you know, 10 years for the iChemi Safety Center. Congratulations. Can you talk a little bit about how the ISC came to fruition and what the goals are for the next 10 years. Yeah, so uh, 10 years ago, on the 6th of January, the ISC officially started its operations. And it started in Melbourne, Australia, where I live, as, as the director and the person that started it. That's, that's where it's officially headquartered. It was an idea that was born out of uh, some conversations that our iChemi president at the time, Dame Judith Hackett, had been having, where she wanted to see iChemi do something that really brought together groups of people in process safety. And so we had an ambition to become you know, this global hub of, of best practice and learning and sharing in process safety. And that's where it started with an idea and six initial uh, upstream oil and gas companies that said, that sounds like a good idea. We'll fund that for three years. Ten years later, we have over 100 organisations that are a part of our centre. Uh, we cover a wide range of industry sectors. We've moved beyond just upstream oil and gas to all sorts of different sectors from mining and minerals to pulp and paper to water treatment, uh, energy generation, as well as upstream, downstream, midstream, a whole range of different organisations that we engage with, even the aviation sector now as well. So we're looking at how we can create those best practice sharing and learning. And it's been a it's been a very exciting ride uh, over the last 10 years. It's uh, some of the things that, that I've looked back and things that I've achieved and things that the centre has achieved over that time. To be honest, 10 years ago, I never thought they were possible. Uh, I didn't even imagine them. So I'm really excited about the next 10 years. I think the centre has a great future. We're still continually growing. We grew by over 14% in membership last year. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm looking at, at maintaining fairly high membership growth so that we can continue to spread to different sectors because we can learn a lot from talking to people in our own industry sector, but we can learn even more from talking to people outside our industry sector because they challenge our thinking. Some of them still face identical hazards, but they challenge how they manage them versus how you might manage them. And that creates another level, another dimension of learning. And so I think there's a, an exciting 10 years ahead. We'll be writing and producing more guidance documents, more case studies, obviously looking at some of the emerging technologies and what the hazards are in there and how we can manage those more effectively. What can we learn from some of the older industries so that the new emerging industries don't have to learn them the hard way? We've already had these incidents. We don't have to learn them again. We need to get smarter about it. And so I'm really excited about taking that forward. Well, congratulations once again. And again, not learning the hard way is is hopefully the, what we're trying to do here as well with this podcast is is giving those lessons as well. Um, this year marks the 20th anniversary of the LNG explosion in Algeria. I know we're probably going to talk about that this year um, as a lessons learned. Can you give us a little bit of a high level of that? Yeah, so that was uh, that incident killed 27 people when it occurred. And there was a, a release of LNG out of one of the trains, and that was then ingested into a boiler. So it's around understanding the management of if there is a release of a flammable substance, 
How are you managing possible ignition sources? That LNG was able to get into the boiler, which then caused the explosion. So focusing on things like understanding how you're going to manage potential ignition sources when a loss of containment does occur. Unfortunately, we can't assume a loss of containment won't occur. We need to manage so it doesn't, but when it does, we need to be able to respond. Another anniversary, 105 years since the Boston molasses spill. I was in Boston uh, five years ago, so the 100th anniversary, and you couldn't go anywhere without hearing the folklore of smelling molasses on hot summer days. Can you give us a little bit of insight there? Yeah, so that one also apparently, um, you know, prompted the uh, the saying as of slow as molasses in January. But in <laughs> fact, molasses in January in Boston 105 years ago didn't move slowly. It was estimated that when a tank of molasses actually burst, a wave of molasses flowed down the streets at up to 25 miles an hour. Think about how fast that is when you think about it being molasses. Now, that killed 21 in, 21 people in that particular incident. There were issues with inappropriate design of the tank and then inspection and maintenance. So the tank was not fit for purpose. It should not have been storing molasses. And then it was not being maintained either, which further weakened its ability to, to store the molasses. So, you know, how we design our facilities is critically important. And then how we make sure that we maintain and inspect them adequately. 45 years ago, uh, the flour dust explosion at the Rolland Mill in Bremen, Germany. Was this one of the first major incidents that brought combustible dust into focus? Yeah, I believe it actually was. So, you know, quite some time ago when we started to, to see this, dust had always been exploding, but this was a one that particularly uh, created a lot of interest and focus. It killed 14 people. Uh, and again, it's around understanding that dust is combustible, even if it's food. And so we can't just assume that because we eat that substance, it's safe. You know, flour mills, sugar mills, grain mills, they all have the potential for dust explosions. And we do see those occur around the world, uh, even today. So managing your combustible dust so that it doesn't build up, managing your ignition sources in the area so that you don't ignite it. Because one of the challenges with dust explosions is usually the first one is little. It's a small little fire, but that liberates the dust that's built up on surfaces. That creates a much bigger dust cloud. So usually the subsequent explosions are much more violent and significant. This next one is making me feel old, 35 years since Valdez. And a friend of mine left um, when that happened to go out and help with the cleanup for that. So um, Obviously, this is on, uh, you know, in, ingrained in our history. But what are we still learning from this one? One of the key things that we went to after this was the, the requirement for double hold tankers so that if an oil tanker does ground, it doesn't put a hole immediately in the oil tank. So the Valdez was a single hold tanker. There's also a lot around making sure that we, we really are clearly understanding the navigation requirements, uh, having the use of pilots in uh, in treacherous areas, and just making sure in general that we've got good operating processes and procedures with what we're doing. And again, then response capability. If we're going to be working in areas that potentially can have quite a significant impact in an incident, we need to make sure we can adequately respond to them. Obviously, everybody uh, that was alive at the time, I'm sure, will remember some of the, the images of the birds and the sea life 
uh, covered in oil. We always see a lot of those when it comes to an environmental impact like that. And so, you know, how we can actually minimise the impact if something happens. Flixboro. We're got, coming up on that 50-year anniversary. Flixboro is in textbooks, right? Mm. This is this is something that we study all the time. Hasty equipment modification was to blame here. Is that correct? Yeah. So some changes were made to the plant um, to keep it running whilst they did some repair work on other parts of the, of the plant. And it wasn't adequately designed. And it also was a situation where the people that were in charge of doing that work weren't actually competent in that particular activity either. So there's a few different elements that do come out in Flixborough, and it is one of the the classic ones that we we talk about, uh, we still teach about quite a lot. It killed 28 people, not only in the facility, but also in the neighbouring town, uh, and, and really a, a landmark event. It changed the legislative framework in the UK at the time, which has, has followed on elsewhere, it also led to uh, the development, or it coincides with the development, sorry, of ICME's Loss Prevention Bulletin, which is our uh, our lessons learnt document that we produce. So that's a really positive that's come out of it, that we've been publishing the Loss Prevention Bulletin now for 50 years following the Flixborough incident as well, and that continues to go strong too. Now, in the beginning, we were talking about being able to honour those that lost their lives during these incidents. And and uh, we're coming up on the 35-year anniversary of the Phillips Petroleum um, incident in Pasadena, Texas. This is where um, Mary Kay O'Connor lost her life and the MKO Process Safety Center was named after her to um, bring attention to these types of incidents and to uh, try and mitigate future incidents. Can you talk a little bit about it? Yeah, so that incident, uh, that particular incident, it did kill 23 people. Obviously, um, Mary Kay O'Connor was was one of those that we know of. It was related to some isolations uh, not being adequately done that then led to a leak and a subsequent explosion that occurred. And coming out of that, Mary Kay O'Connor's husband, T. Michael O'Connor, decided that he he wanted to, to change how safety was taught to engineers so that there was so that nothing like this ever happened again and I think that's an incredibly uh, noble gesture and action that um, that Mike took sadly we lost Mike uh, a couple of years ago he passed but um, the Mericara Connor Process Safety Centre is still going strong with its aim of making safety second nature uh, to to help educate engineers into the future in process safety so that we don't see another incident like this happen again. One of the other big uh, anniversaries that we're going to be commemorating this year via single source podcast is uh, 40 years since Bhopal. What are we still learning here? So Bhopal was uh, and and is still the worst environmental, uh, so worst industrial disaster the world has ever seen. It also had significant environmental impacts too. The Bhopal incident killed an estimated at least 5,000 people. We don't know how many people it actually killed, though. It also made hundreds of thousands of people ill, ongoing birth defects, related uh, chronic illnesses in that area in Bhopal. So the release of a toxic gas cloud. Now, there were issues with the plant design and construction. In fact, the design was identical to a plant that was operating in the US at the time. So the design was good, 
the issue that occurred was it wasn't built to design. There were changes made. So there, it was built with some concepts of inherently safer design principles, but they were then stripped out. It wasn't maintained adequately. In the end, there wasn't competence to operate it. And so there's a range of different things that we need to focus on. The inherently safer design, looking at how we maintain and operate, looking at making sure we have the right competence for people in the workplace as well, so they can adequately operate the facility. For me, one of the worst things about Bhopal is the fact that the facility is still there in ruins. It is still contaminated. It is still currently contaminating the environment in that city. And it's a very large city in India where people are still living. And people today are still being made sick because of that Bhopal incident. And so, you know, I think from a, a, an industry perspective, it's a terrible blight on all of us as professional engineers that Bhopal is still physically sitting there as a contaminated site. Hopefully we can get something done about that into the future, but it's been 40 years and we still haven't seen it fixed. Is there anything that you'd like to add? I think really just encourage people to be curious about why things happen and the sorts of incidents that have occurred. Asking questions, thinking about, well, why? Why is that? Why do we do something a particular way? Or this incident that I noticed, what, what caused it? What can I do to make sure that doesn't happen again? I think there's some really important things, attributes as professionals and as leaders and as engineers that we need to think about. We need to be more curious. We need to ask questions. And so if any of these incidents that we've very briefly touched on today, if any of them you think, I'd like to know a little bit more about that, take the next step and go and look it up. There is an enormous amount of information on the internet on any one of these incidents that we've discussed today. Go check them out. Check out our Minute to Learn incident anniversary videos that the Safety Centre puts out. Check out our podcasts. Go and read Loss Prevention Bulletin or go and read Process Safety Progress. Both of those two publications produce really high quality process safety lessons learned and case studies. Go have a read of them. See what's in them. Be curious. Find out why. And make sure that you embed that learning in your mind so you don't make that same mistake again at some point in the future. Well, as always, Trish, you are a champion of safety and of disseminating great information and lessons learned. Unfortunate events happen all over the world, and we will be here to discuss and learn from them, including all of the um, anniversaries that we've highlighted today. Subscribe to this free podcast so you can stay on top of best practices. You can also visit us at chemicalprocessing.com for more tools and resources aimed at helping you run efficient and safe facilities. On behalf of Trish, I'm Tracy, and this is Process Safety with Trish and Tracy. Stay safe.